This is the Kavnis HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to the Kavnis HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Ben Eubanks. Ben, are you ready to be great today? Absolutely. Ben Eubanks is a principal analyst at Lighthouse Research and Advisory. Ben has authored dozens of reports, ebooks, and more than 1,000 articles. He maintains Upstart HR, a blog that has touched the lives of more than 900,000 business leaders since its inception, and hosts We're Only Human, a podcast that examines the intersection of people and technology in the workplace. He has appeared on numerous influencer lists throughout the HR and recruiting space and is a sought after speaker and thought leader. Previously the HR director for Inc. 500 ranked global technology startup, he currently operates the Lighthouse Research and Advisory, a human capital research and advisory services firm. He works with HR talent and learning leaders across the globe to solve the most pressing business challenges with a research-based perspective tempered by practical hands-on experience. But more importantly, he has four children, a wonderful wife of 10 years, and a preference for running outlandish races for fun. Ben, you are definitely one busy person. What are you working on right now? What's, what's keeping you busy right now? So uh, I'll take that very last piece on the running thing because that always makes me laugh when I hear it said out loud and then I'll jump into work stuff. So the first one, I've, I recently put a stake in the ground and said, I'm going to do this. So I'm, I planned this race in March. I'm going to do it. Uh, last year was actually traveling, so I missed out on it and had to do kind of a backup race, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a 12-hour event and I'm hoping to crack 50 miles. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun, a lot of work. And uh, so I've got, got a long, long road of training ahead of me for that one, which I'm excited about. How long have you been running? You know, people ask me that occasionally, and I never have a good pat answer. It's been a long time. I've been married for 10 years, and I was running. That was the first year I ever ran an ultra race. So I ran a 50K, which is 31 miles, 2007. And I've run for, you know, years before that. So I don't know. It's been probably 15-plus years I've been running. And on and off and through kids and everything else. It's one of those things that's kind of always stuck with me. One of the only things that I've had in my life longer than HR, I guess, is, is the running piece. So on the work side, I've been doing some fun research lately. You mentioned, you know, in the bio, I do a ton of research. And prior to being a researcher, I was a practitioner, spent, spent my time you know, in the trenches. And so the thing that I try to do with the research is not just look at things that are fun or interesting or entertaining, but things that someone can take a concrete takeaway. So for example, today, I actually just published some new findings from research. Think about all those corporate branding videos you see, you know, all the money spent on those when, hey, uh, come work at Coca-Cola, come work at Amazon or Walmart or you know, one of those big companies, they spend all this money on this video that's like an overview of what their company is and does, and they're trying to use those to capture the attention of candidates. We actually surveyed candidates to ask, ask them what they care about. They said, we don't really care. It doesn't really matter to us. It's, it's ranked way down there. The only thing ranked lower, unfortunately, I guess, is the HR or recruiter message, something from us as their, the recruiting audience. That's the only thing they care about less than a corporate video. The thing they care most about is hearing from a hiring manager. Hey, what's the job like? What's important to you? you know, what's it like on this team? What's the culture like? Or even a job preview. Hey, I want to see what the job itself is like, what kind of duties and things. So again, one of those pieces of research that hopefully gives someone some ideas around, hey, next time you're going to spend some money on something, trying to capture something to, to get out there and get the attention of candidates, don't do that, uh, that corporate branding video or don't prioritize that. Look for ways to get your hiring manager, get your actual employees 
in front of the candidates because that's what they really want to see. Man, on the job side, it seems like there's a disconnect right now. Like job candidates, they'll say they can't find a job. Then companies are saying like there's no talent out, out there. So like there's a disconnect. How do we fix that? Or first of all, do you think there is a disconnect out there? And if so, how do we fix it? One, you know, that's one of the topics. Whenever I see something on this skill thing, always read it. And I actually have a, a tab open right now in my in my uh, Chrome that I want to read through today. It's a new report from this year. It's, it's focused on that. It's kind of from a CEO perspective. What does this look like in terms of the skills gap? And I, I would agree with you. There's a lot of challenge on the candidate side. And I just heard this weekend that even more people have actually dropped out of the workforce in terms of looking for jobs. They just said, hey, we're not going to find something that fits our skills. So we're just dropping out completely. So our unemployment rate is continuing to look better and better, but part that's due in part to these people are just completely giving up on ever finding a job that fits their skills, which is a little bit concerning. So there's a lot of companies, larger firms that are saying, hey, we're going to try to reskill, retrain, prepare people for this next generation. So I think it was, uh, I was reading about AT&T recently. They actually launched this initiative and said, we're going to train 100,000 people on how to get from these old systems to the digital age, basically, you know, the, instead of having this analog phone system that they've been managing, you know, that might've been your job for the last 20 years, suddenly it changes to digital and you are completely unskilled, unprepared, unable to, to handle that. They're working to train their own employees on that stuff. And I think that's where a lot of this, the, the transition towards this new sort of economy, the new types of skills and things are going to come from the bigger companies saying, Hey, we're going to train our people. And if they leave and go somewhere else, that's fine, but at least we'll have this group of people that can handle this because there's definitely a mismatch in terms of the skills that companies are looking for. Every single study I've done and even you know, anecdotally, when I'm helping people hire, they're saying, hey, we can't find these people, especially technical talent. We just can't find the ones we need. But at the same time, we have people out there saying, hey, I can't find a job. I'm still looking. I've looked for so long that I can't, I'm not going to look anymore. So there's definitely a mismatch. I think another challenge is it seems like, at least, at least from my point of view, that a lot of hiring managers, they want, they're trying to hold up for the 100% perfect fit, you know. And I think we need to do maybe, maybe a better job of, hey, maybe hire the person 80%, 90% fit and then train up to get it to 100%. I think that's another challenge too. What is your take on this? Because I, I have my opinion, but what's your take on hiring for fit and then training for skills? I'm for that, but the caveat is a lot of times I think when people say we're going to hire for fit, culture fit, that's really a key code for, you know, keep certain people out, you know, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the, that's why I asked it that way. Cause that's one of the challenges is everybody's had that hiring manager says, well, they're not really a fit. Oh, it's because she's a woman. It's because they're a person of color. It's because, you know, whatever, something that makes them different. And the, the thing that I always push back on is we, we should look at fit not in terms of you know, a general vague thing. I never, never, that was always my, my standard. Managers can never come back to me and say they're not a fit without giving me a specific reason and definition for what that meant. They can't say, oh, I just feel it. No, that's not going to work. Because when that lawyer says, yeah, they didn't hire because she's a woman, I can't say, well, manager didn't feel right about it. <laughs> that's not going to back, I can't back you up. I can't support you. So if, give me some concrete reason. And so I always came back with, here are core values. If you say they don't fit, you're going to tell me which one of those they don't fit. Are they not honest? Are they not transparent? Are they not, do they not have, you know, this work ethic? What is it that they're failing to meet? Because that's, that's something got to come back to, I guess, if we're going to give a, a takeaway today, right? That's one of those things you can take right back with you when your manager says, Hey, they don't fit. I'm sorry. I don't accept that. That's not an acceptable answer. We're going to have to give you, give something more substantial than that, because in the event this comes back, you know, and something bad happens, which it doesn't often, but for those times it does, we're going to have to back this up. And that's not an acceptable answer. Yes, I, I totally agree with you on that. Ben, you've had a lot of experience in HR, various different HR roles. 
so far, what has been your favorite HR role that you that you have had? You know, I worked my last role in HR as a practitioner. I was the director of HR for this 500 startup company. We did a lot of really cool work. And that was part of the reason that I loved it is we did software development, so a technology firm. But at the same time, we had a services side where I had to go out and recruit helicopter pilots to go and train the military and all kinds of neat stuff. And so it it was really easy to be excited about what we were doing. There, there, there's something for everybody. But I mean, I couldn't be Personally, I couldn't be excited about working for a company that you know makes cosmetics or that does you know whatever. I don't know. Everybody's got their thing, but uh, that kind of stuff just was really exciting for me as a recruiter to go and find those people, and then as a, a HR manager to to work with and enable those people to do great work because I could see the impact. Hey, you know, what? we're we're protecting people, we're helping them to be safer, we're we're trying to do these really cutting edge things. So that was probably the coolest one, and. Most of the response there had nothing to do with HR. It had to do with the kind of work and the kind of company. And ultimately, I think you have to adapt your HR practice to those kind of things. You can't just have this default template of HR and try to apply it to everyone, every culture, because that's not going to work out. And so I think the, the culture, too, of the company is one that fit well with me personally, because I am, despite being an HR person and despite having all the, you know, I know all the compliance rules and all the other good stuff there, I am very much a low, low rules person. I'm focused much more on let's create this experience as positive. We'll try to maintain this minimal standard on, you know, make sure we're, we're safe on the legal side. But in general, I always focus on what can we aspire to? What, what can make us great? You know, what can we do that's going to set us apart from the competition? And so that was the kind of things that, that really drove my decisions on a daily basis. Ben, so you, you have a statement on your LinkedIn profile I totally agree with. It says, the HR needs to take a page from marketing and sales to have an approach to influence organization and focus on hard, measurable results. Why do you think HR hasn't gotten to this point yet? That's a good question. And I don't know. Well, I'll say this. I do know that there are plenty of HR leaders have that down. They've got that squared away and they are rocking. I know that that is true because I've met and talked to plenty of them. At the same time, there's a lot of people, and you know this well, that get into the profession because a, hey, I fell into it. B, I was an admin and someone asked me to pick up the HR stuff and that's how I became an HR person. Or C, I'm a people person. I like people. I don't like numbers. And that's why they get into HR. None of those are bad things necessarily because everybody's got to get in somehow. But once you're in, you need to latch on to this idea that I need to be able to prove what I'm doing, prove the value of what I'm doing, really connect the outcomes of my practice back to the business to the best I've to the best of my ability. And we can't always connect everything we're doing. It's easier for sales, for sure. It's easier for marketing in some respects, for sure, to connect their stuff back to actual business outcomes. But we need to be always be searching for those kind of things as HR leaders because that's how you build credibility. That's how you get attention from the, from the leadership. That's how you get investment and resources and really make an impact on the organization is when you can have those conversations. I'm trying to remember, a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece that said, you know, the basically stop saying, I'll get back to you with that. So uh, when I got started in HR, someone gave me the advice like, hey, if you don't know the answer to something, just say, hey, I'll get back to you on that. And eventually that becomes almost a crutch and you miss that opportunity to have an impact right there because you're not prepared, you're not ready, you don't have the data. So my, my push then was, hey, let's stop relying on that. Let's, get, let's say, hey, you know what? I'm about 80% sure that this is the reality. And you throw something out there and you can say, you know, I can always check back with you if there's something different, but try to be right there with some numbers to have some probability, some certainty behind what you're saying instead of it just being this fluffy stuff that we can't put any measurements to because that 
perpetuate the stereotype that HR is bad with numbers, bad with measurement, and it's a fluffy kind of practice out of this hardcore business operation that's driving value for the business. Ben, that's great advice. I know most people don't realize how HR is actually more of a numbers-based resource if you get down to it, at least from my point of view. Absolutely. Ben, right now, from my point of view, there's two HRs. There's an HR of old and an HR of new. The old was like the, the administrative old school, so to speak. The HR of yes, the new one always tries to say yes and find a way to make a solution. How do we get more people from the old way of HR to the new way of HR? How does how do we make that happen? If I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to be very bleak and sad sounding, I'm going to say, let's wait for them all to retire and move out of HR and hope that this new generation changes that. If I'm going to be more proactive and happy in my response and uh, positive, I'm going to say that they just need to hear more conversations like this. They need to be aware that it's not okay to just show up, take notes, and be the glorified admin, basically. They need to look for ways to have an impact, to improve the business. I know there are some times where someone works for a smaller company where they might report to the CEO who has zero, places zero value on HR, HR other than help us not to get sued. Right, that's a, that's a super common kind of thing, and people are just going to face that. And that will always be a cap on how great your company can be because you're never going to be better than whatever they see HR as this, you know, this, this basic sort of role. So when you find one of those leaders that really believes that HR has value, that really believes that the people are the, the truest, most valuable asset of the business, those are the kind of people you need to look for, work for, and just latch on to because those, those sorts of opportunities, for example, going back, the, the different roles that I've had in HR, one of them, I work for a company that said, hey, HR is here to hire people, to terminate people, and that was pretty much it. I spent, <laughs> in my first HR role, I spent all day, every day doing nothing but pro- processing termination and new hire paperwork, and that's all I did. And after about six months, I said, goodness, this is killing me. You know, I've got to do something else. We've got to figure out a way to surely we can figure this out. Um, so I went through and uh, did an analysis of all of our turnover data. And again, nobody asked me to do this. This was not, I had no training or anything else. I said, we've got to figure out what these trends are. So I looked at the data and found, hey, you know what? We have X percent turnover and about half that is in the first 90 days. A ton of this turnover. And so let's figure out what's happening in those first 90 days. Is it a recruiting problem? Are they t- selling them something different than the job actually entails? Look at our managers. Hey, manager A has 10% turnover in their team. Manager B has 50% turnover in their team. What are they doing differently? Let's try to either coach or move out manager B or give manager A some way to, you know, let's reward them, let's encourage them because others will take take a page from their book. And so it's, you know, that's just an example of latching onto the data that's already there. It's already sitting there. It's waiting for you. Problem was, I was working for one of those companies that did see the value in HR. Even our VP didn't see the value in that. She shelved the research, and then the company actually shut down a few months later because they were just falling apart at the seams. And so that's always my, my cautionary tale of you've got to be aware of the stuff. But at the same time, if you don't have someone you're working for that sees a value and encourages that sort of stuff, then it's never going to lead to something positive. You're always going to be hitting that ceiling. You're always going to be struggling with that. So if you if you are listening to this and you do work with someone that sees the value in HR and you do work with someone that embraces the idea that people are our best resource and we need to find ways to help them be even better, then again, don't take that for granted. That's something very special and something that most people would kill for. Ben, I really like how you utilize social media 
Can you talk about how you, you, you're utilizing social media right now? So it's funny. Back when I got started, I was one of the first HR people using Twitter regularly, which is it's funny to think about it, back in 2009. And at the time, it was kind of a ghost town. There wasn't a lot of us around. And so those of us that were there built these really strong relationships. And even today, I'm good friends, can pick up the phone and call any of them. And, and it's amazing. And I tell people that's one of the values of social media is to be able to connect with someone. Even think about this. Hey, if you wanted to get the insight from a CHRO and you are not at that level and you wanted to know what they were thinking, go out there and find someone on LinkedIn, someone on Twitter, and you can see the kind of things they're sharing, see the kind of thoughts that they're having, and you instantly get some insight into what that person's thinking. And that's the kind of insight you wouldn't have gotten, you know, 10 years ago. That's pretty powerful. So it's for, that's really powerful for the networking effect. The other side, I have friends that use that use things like Twitter and others They're like, hey, I'm not really a poster. I just want to kind of see what's going on. And so they use it to kind of curate a news feed. And I was that's kind of a cool idea. But in terms of, I mean, I, I definitely do the connection connection thing. I definitely do the sharing thing. One of the areas that I've this year actually have really seen a lot of value from personally, some of it's getting answers and some of it is helping and giving back is in terms of Facebook groups. I don't know if you're a member of any that are out there, but like HR Open Source, it's a place where they're trying to make a lot of the best practices, tools, templates, case studies, resources for HR leaders completely free, free and available. They get nothing. You pay nothing. It's just a way to add value to the community. And again, there's networking going on, obviously, but it's also a cool way to, I love jumping in there, answering questions on things I'm looking for. And so anyway, it's a, I use it in a, in a wide variety of ways. It's hard to be really short and concise on that. But um, if I had to pinpoint one of the things I've seen a lot of value in recently, both giving and receiving, it's definitely in the Facebook groups that I'm participating in. Ben, next, talk about time you were successful in the past, what you learned from the success, and what our listeners are going to learn from the success you had in the past. I want to talk about one that ties into the conversation earlier and also um, was super duper recent. So when I was last week, I was presenting at an event out in Arizona and I was running a workshop for HR leaders. And the session was on hacking HR. Let's try to hack this thing we do and, and break it apart. And I can talk about the format if you're curious, but basically they had to pick a component of HR like training, like leadership development or onboarding and break it apart and try to tweak something that would improve the outcomes. Because all of us, all of us, if we're, if we're serious and honest with ourselves, most of our practices could, util, could use a little bit of tweaking, could use a little bit of fixing. So the thing that was made it successful for me, in my estimation, was that these HR leaders walked out of this thing knowing that they had the capacity, the capability to make some meaningful changes in their, in their approaches and their practices they were using. But the thing that again, ties back to the previous conversation is one of the things they had to do in the process is after they identify the area they're going to focus on, like onboarding, they had to then aspire to something. They had to decide what does my perfect state look like? If onboarding was working, how would I know? And so they had to think about the positive outcome, but they also had to think about how they're going to measure that. Because one of the, one of the things I did at the very end when they had to pitch back their idea is I asked them point blank, how are you going to measure this? Because if it's not measurable, we shouldn't be doing it. If it's not going to be something that we can tie back some value to or prove that it's adding something, then we should not be doing it as HR leaders. So much of what we do on a daily basis is completely immeasurable or is completely you know, outside that loop. And so I challenged all of them to be thinking about, how are you going to measure this? How are you going to prove it? What sort of data are you going to collect? What's the evidence? Pounded that into their brains over and over again because I wanted them to be thinking about when they design a new program 
or they decide to roll out a new practice, or they're going to pilot and test out this new benefit. How are you going to know before you even start that it's successful or not? Because if you wait until the end and you try to decide then, did that work? Well, it's too late to gather some data. It's too late to, to understand you know, how people feel about it at the very beginning. Too late if you wait till the end or wait till you're already started. Start before you even begin this program. Think about how we're going to measure the success. And that's one of the, the big takeaways that I have never, ever, ever forgotten from some of the, the things that I've done in HR. And one of those that I always reiterate when I'm talking to people, trying to give them a good takeaway is think about when you're designing your new approach, think about how you're going to measure it before you take that first step. Man, Nick, talk about a time you failed, what you learned from this failure and what all this is going to learn from this time you failed in the past. This one, is a little bit more, man, it still, it still hurts my heart to think about it. So I had a manager, not my own manager, a manager that I was the HR rep for years ago. And we can over acquired basically 40 employees from another employer. And so none of those employees went through our typical hiring screening process. And they all just came on overnight, basically. So what ultimately happened is some of those people that came across would never have been hired if I had put them through our standard practice because they were not a fit for our company. They didn't believe the same things we believed. Just So there was a manager over that entire group of employees that employees complained about. I hired it from all kinds of people and I was still pretty early in my HR career and this was a, a really a new kind of experience for me is acquiring these people. So I'd, I didn't put as much stock into their comments, their, their request for help, as I should have. And, you know, I would kind of coach the manager or I would try to support in some way or I would be the, you know, be the ear for the employees that they wanted to complain. And ultimately, that was just a crutch, right? No matter how many conversations I listened to, no matter how many of those employees, I would kind of, you know, pat them on the back, say, hey, it'll be okay. It didn't get better and it just got worse. It just kept on going and going and going. The lesson there, the lesson there is to really take those things seriously. We lost some good people that, that left because of all the, and the research tells us that managers really large impact on the satisfaction of their people. Something like 60 or 70% of an individual satisfaction depends purely on their manager directly above them. And so if I could give you just one piece of advice, it would be to really focus on that relationship, make sure it's great as it can be. Because if we let even one poor manager you know, is managing you know, five or 10 people, if we let them linger in the organization, that has this huge impact and you potentially lose some really good people. And I don't know, I don't know why it is. What's your thought on that? Managers seem to get this, this pass where they can be terrible and organizations aren't as, real, aren't as quick to take a step to fix that as they would be for an individual contributor. And I don't know if it's because they, they think they're higher at the food chain, they're paid more, they're a more expensive resource, what it is, but uh, it's something that, that, I've struggled with seeing. I know other people do as well. I think it's more, okay, this man has been with us for five, 10 years. We know him. He's produced for us. And this new employee has been like maybe a month or two months. So from the company's perspective, who do you think that they're, they're probably going to go with a manager because they, you know, just because they know him. But I think they need, need to be more open-minded, especially if you have like multiple complaints against that manager. Ben, next, talk about someone who has helped you in the past and how they helped you. I think the person who's made the, one of the most profound impact on me was, the, was one of my first managers. I'll say the first one, but not the very first one. She was not so awesome when I got an HR. She's the VP I mentioned a minute ago. The person that had this amazing impact on me is she took a chance on me, hired me into an HR role that I felt like I was completely unprepared for. And when I started there, the thing that really blew me away is she said, you know, here's what you're going to be doing. And a week later, she said, what do you like? What do you not like? 
and the things that I liked, she gave me a little more of, and the things I didn't like, she tried to find some way to, to shift that off to the, ability, the extent she could. And over time, I was basically building this job of things that I completely loved. And I could not wait to go to work every day. I would wake up in the morning eager to get started on the day. And it's, it was just an amazing experience. And the thing that I, I just loved it because I didn't know it at the time, but she was secretly you know, grooming me to take over her role eventually. But she was giving me exposure to these areas of HR that I wouldn't have had exposure to at a bigger company and was really just being me to some ways challenging me to think about my career in ways that I hadn't in the past. You know, when I started there, I was like, hey, anything's great. And over time, I started realizing, oh, I don't like this thing as much, but I really love that thing. So as I started honing that, I had to start making some tough choices because she's like, hey, if you want to do more of more of X, you have to do less of something else. And it challenged me to think really critically about which of these is adding the most value to the business, and which of these, you know, in five years, what I still want to be doing at this level. And so it was just one of those managers that you never, ever forget. Jason, I'm going to throw it back at you. Do you have a manager like that that you remember from your past that was just one of those that you wish you could have just kept with you pretty much forever? Yes. Yeah, so I, I was often army. I had a boss named, uh, at the time I was captain Jason cabinets. He was major David Wood. I mean, okay. he was a perfect boss. He had high standards, but if you couldn't meet him, he would help you meet him. He would train you up, always calm, always, you know, always back you up. If you didn't know something, he didn't belittle you for it. He would like, okay, let me train you up. So to me, that, in my mind, that's my perfect boss. Very cool. Ben, uh, do you have any books, book or books to recommend to our listeners? So there are, I was telling you a little bit ago, there's, I have so many books. I've always been a big reader and I love them. Such a valuable resource. And would the first book that I usually throw out there in terms of a, of a recommendation, it's a book called The Frontline Leader by Chris Van Gorder. And the story, it tells a little bit of the backstory of the CEO of Scripps Health Network, one of the biggest health healthcare organizations based in the U.S. It tells the guy's story of how he became the CEO, but then it tells some really neat things about how he actually runs his day-to-day operation as a CEO. And the lessons for an HR leader are really impressive in there because he talks about the incredible value of communication. He talks about some of the ways that he interacts with employees and tries to find ways to create a more positive employee experience for them. And it's one of those books that I've read two or three times, always recommend it to people, whether you're in healthcare or not, because there are some amazing life lessons to be learned from it. And if all of that has no interest to you and you're just curious to hear the story, he started out as a police officer, which and someone ran into the back of his patrol car and broke his back. So he was medically discharged from the police force and had to find something to do. And again, years later, he's now the CEO of this worldwide health network. And so it's a really cool story as well. If you if you like nails with the, the story aspect, that's worth it itself. Ben, understand you have something for our listeners today. So one of the things that I've done over the last eight years that I've been writing over at upstarthr.com is pulling together these different resources and things, eBooks and special guides and other tools and things to help people with a variety of stuff. If it's, hey, I need some help with employer retention or I'm trying to get my onboarding up to snuff and what can I do there to fix it or even been put in charge of this new HR department and I have no clue what to do. How do I build it from the ground up? So I put together a ton of resources and it's over at upstarthr.com slash freebies. Or if you just go to upstarthr.com and check out in the top, top section there, there's a link directly to that freebies page and you can find all kinds of good stuff there, regardless of your type of company, regardless of where you are, that'll kind of help you and guide you through some of the decisions you're going to have to make in the coming months. And for our listeners, we'll have the links to all this material on our show notes. Ben, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide any last minute words of advice or wisdom for our listeners? I'll add this. So HR at its core is about serving the business through the people. 
It's not about serving the people so much, but it's about serving the business through the people. And it's by creating better people processes and practices, but we've got to think about it from the business angle, the business perspective, because if they're not finding value in these things, then it's going to be a real challenge to sell it. So if you remember when you run into those business problems that you have all these different levers to pull, like about that. When you run into a business problem or you hear someone in your organization talking about a challenge that they're having, think about those different ways that you can make modifications to the workplace, the work environment, the things that are going on and doing. Those things can make you a great HR leader if you just look for those opportunities to, to dive in and support the business. Ben, thank you very much. You provided some very valuable advice today and a lot, lot of uh, value. Thank you very much for being on podcast today. I know you're a busy person, so I really appreciate it. To our listeners, thank you for listening as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Cadmus HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit CadmusHR.com or connect to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Cadmus HR or Jason Cadmus HR on Snapchat. Thanks again and be great every day.